Good morning. So this is one of those Sundays where I didn't feel like I could or should uh, preach the, the message that had been planned throughout the week. So what you'll notice is the message that we're going to hear and the one that's described in your bulletin are a little bit different. I think that we have a PowerPoint slide, though, just kind of as an introduction. Yeah, the, the gospel is kind of the, uh, the subject today. Now, in the bulletin, it talks about New Vision Sunday. And the reason for that is the deacons have met uh, to talk about the survey results from um, the, the Natural Church Development Survey and just some other things going on with, with the church, really with the idea towards um, casting a new vision uh, for Calvary. A, a, a renewed vision would be a better way to, a better way to describe that. And, and we're certainly still in the process of that. We did have some great fruitful discussion last week in our meeting. But one thing that came from that is just a realization. And uh, uh, this isn't news, this isn't a surprise for us, but a, a renewed commitment to make absolutely sure that the very beginning of any vision that we cast as a church, that it begins and ends with the gospel that that is its core, absolutely, fundamentally, at the core of our church and the core of what we are about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I wanted to, kind of in, in, in lieu of describing anything specific that we talked about in our meeting last week, take this week to talk about that gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about what it is and about what it means for us as a church and what it means for you personally and my hope today is that you'll feel a sense of urgency about the gospel, about its effect on you, and about your effect on the people around you. Now, I want to warn you early uh, that I'm going to be asking a question a little bit later, and it's not going to be rhetorical. So about halfway through the message uh, today, there's going to be a time I'm going to actually ask a question, and I would love to hear a great many of you respond, and the question is going to be this. In light of the church, or in light of the gospel, what should our church be doing, and what should we as individuals be doing? So in light of the gospel, what should our church be doing, and what should we as individuals be doing? Now, our single-sentence sermon summary is simple. I added an S at the end of that. It's getting, getting absurdly long, but it's fun. Now, if, if anything, if any part of this strikes you as a little bit odd, just trust me for a bit. It'll make sense as we go. But here it is, the single-sentence sermon summary. The gospel is about Jesus. It's about our need to follow him and about people living forever. Let me say that again. The gospel is about Jesus, about our need to follow him and about people living forever. Now the scripture reading this morning, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. And as you're turning there, or if you're going to read it with me here, I want to give you a little bit of background, a little bit of context about what's going on. Jesus and his disciples are going to Jerusalem. They're on the way to Jerusalem, and uh, they've just had an argument. You see, James and John 
they came up to Jesus and they, they basically said, Jesus, when you come into your glory or when you, when you come into your kingdom, and they had all kinds of misunderstandings and misconceptions about what that meant, but they said, Jesus, when this ends, when you're, when you're in your kingdom, we want one of us to be number two and the other to be number three. Like, we know you're going to be number one, right, Jesus? You're, you're going to be king, but, but, but we want one brother to be number two and one brother to be number three. And the other disciples, when they heard about this, of course, they were upset and they started to argue among them about which was the greatest. And to make a long story short, Jesus renews a teaching to them that in order to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you must be humble. And then immediately afterwards comes this story, almost as though it's a commentary on the need for disciples of Jesus to be humble. So Mark 10, verses 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now this wasn't an uncommon thing in the ancient world to see, to see a person in need, a person perhaps with some type of handicap begging, because they were usually cast out of the social order of their time, and they relied on the charity of others to survive. So here is Bartimaeus begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth passing by, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That word shout, it has this ring, not as, a, not as shouting in anger, but as crying out in desperation. He desperately cries out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted All the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man and they said, cheer up, get on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, Bartimaeus jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. He received his sight and his response was to follow. Now we're going to come back to that story in in some detail here in a few minutes. But first, I want to take a minute and talk about who Jesus is. In this story, somehow Bartimaeus has figured something important out. And we don't know how that happened. But he calls Jesus the son of David. Now this title is important. It's a recognition that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one. There's this prophecy, this promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that God would one day raise up one of David's descendants to establish an eternal kingdom, to be a savior of God's people, to be the Messiah. That's who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. Messiah is what the word Christ means. It means Messiah, 
the Savior, King and Priest. Now we call Jesus the Son of God, and we call Him that because He was born by the Holy Spirit from the Virgin Mary. He is literally God's Son. But He's also more than that. Jesus is God Himself. We believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. Now we can spend all day talking about what exactly one God in three persons means and never get to the bottom of it. But, but it's important for this reason today. For the gospel to be good news, for our salvation to be possible, Jesus must be both God and human. He must be both. A good verse that makes this clear is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I think we have it here. It reads this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, th you, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I'm going to read that again since I bumbled it a little bit. Here we go. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Christ's riches in this verse are his divine glory. He's God. That's, that's pretty good riches, right? Being God is a pretty good set of riches. Now the poverty here is our broken human condition. And we are broken. And if all of us are going to be honest for a moment, we know that to be true. If you're not sure, if you think about yourself and you don't think actually that, that you're very much of a broken person, there's a real simple way to tell. Make a commitment to yourself that for one day, just for one day, you're going to let nothing but kindness characterize your words, thoughts, and actions. That compassion is going to be what you show to every person in every situation. That you're going you're gonna to speak the way God wants you to speak and love the way God wants you to love. And you try to do that for just one day. And it doesn't matter where you are or what your day looks like. You can lock yourself in a secluded room and it will not take long at all before, despite not having any other people around, despite having no frustrations, you find that it is not just God's loving compassion that characterizes your words and thoughts and actions. In fact, you might find yourself a little bit discouraged. I can't even do this for a day. And all of us, if we're honest, as we look within ourselves, we sense that brokenness. Something in us is not the way it's supposed to be. We're not who we want to be. We're fallen. We're broken. So Jesus, he empties himself of his divine Glory. That's the way Philippians 2 describes it. He empties himself of his divine glory. He's born in a manger. He lives a life that shows us what God's love looks like in a human being. And then he dies 
on a cross. He fully enters into our broken condition. He puts on humanity in every way except for our sinfulness. And that's important for two reasons. The first reason that's important is this. Only God can save. Only God can save. Salvation is a divine action. A mere man cannot bring salvation. And the death of a mere man cannot destroy or overcome death. It has to be God who dies for us on the cross. And two, the salvation from God has to reach us at the point of our need. Only if Jesus is really, genuinely, truly human, the way that we are human, can we share in what he has done and accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection. And that's exactly what happens. God the Son comes down from heaven and becomes the Son of God. He knows our hurts and our sorrows and our, our pains, not just because he got, he's God and knows everything, but because he's experienced pain and heartbreak and temptation. He shows us what God's love looks like when it's lived out, and then he dies as a sacrifice for our sins and is raised from the dead. And it's through that death and resurrection that he wins a victory over the evil one. The evil one who wants us to be separated from God forever. Who wants us to die a forever death. Separated from the God who loves us. And Christ wins a victory over sin and over death. By providing a way for us to be forgiven. And to have eternal life. And then he sends his Holy Spirit so that whomever would accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, whoever would repent of their sins and commit their life to him, would be adopted into God's family, would receive his Holy Spirit, and would live with him forever. That's the gospel in a nutshell. It's a simple story, but it's the biggest and deepest and most important story that has ever been told. You can spend your entire life and never get to the bottom of it, but you can learn the story in a day. That's the gospel. Now, I know that everyone here, or almost everyone here, has heard this story before. You've probably heard it before many times. So you might be asking, why is that so important to share this morning? Well, I want to take a moment and I want to ask you, in light of this gospel, remember I warned you about this earlier, in light of this gospel, what kind of things should we as a church be doing and what kind of things should we as individuals be doing? So I'd like you to answer those questions. And if you do, if you'd be willing to raise your hand, I don't have a mic to bring you, but I'll repeat it so everyone else can hear. What kind of things should we as a church be doing, and what kind of things should we as individuals be doing in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah. That's wonderful. That's Mark 12, 30. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love others as yourself. Absolutely. Jesus was asked, how do you sum it all up? The Old Testament, how do you sum it up? And he said, that's a good way to do it, and it's a way for us to live, absolutely. 
What else? What else should we be doing? What should we be about? Lee. Absolutely, prayer. This, this opportunity to step into the throne room of God and to experience Him in a very real and powerful way. You know, a lot of times we think about prayer as this thing that, that we do because we might enjoy it, right? We think about something like the prayer time that's going to happen on Wednesday, a thing to come to if you enjoy getting together with a group of people and praying. And so some of you think, man, that's really not my speed. But the thing of it is that, that if that's you, then you need to be there more. It has to become a part of the life of a Christian, a part of the heart of a Christian, to prayer, to be in the throne room of God, to speak to him in prayer. Absolutely. Vern. Yeah, yeah. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about how we are Christ's ambassadors. And it's important for us to reach out because Jesus actually wants to make his appeal to others through you. He wants to use you to speak to others. Absolutely. What else should we be about? What should we be doing? Debbie. Debbie. Yeah, Yeah. she said confession. Coming before God and opening, openly acknowledging the ways that we fall short. Being aware of our brokenness as human beings and bringing that brokenness before God to be healed. Absolutely. What else? Praying. Praying. Absolutely. We need to be people of prayer. And there are some prayer warriors in this church. Absolutely. What else should we be about? Yeah, discovering our gifts. One thing that was very interesting about the, the surveys that we, we sent out, the Natural Church Development Surveys, is that a number of people said that they, they don't really know what their spiritual gifts are. And that's something that we realized as deacons that, that we have not been good at facilitating. The need to, to help you discover what your gifts are and then unleashing you to use those gifts to build up the body. Absolutely. Because we all believe, or we believe that each person has one or many specific gifts from God to use to build up the church, to encourage the church, to edify the church. And we want to see you be able to use those. We could do this for a long time. Maybe one more. What else should we be about? Yeah, Lori. Absolutely. We, she said that we need, to, we need to be intentional about spending time with those who do not know Jesus, to, to share with them the importance of who God is and what his calling for our life is. And to not just let that happen accidentally, although when that happens, that's wonderful, but to be intentional about that. The word we have for that is evangelism, to share 
the good news. And some of you hear the word evangelism and you cringe up a little bit because you're shy and you're introverts and you're thinking, my word, I am not knocking on anyone's door and asking if they know who Jesus is. But that's not what that means. That can be what that means. But, but that means forming relationships. And not because you see people as a project, but because you want to love them. And you want to show them how much God loves them. Yeah, evangelism too. Hmm. So I asked the question, why is the gospel so important this morning, and, and what, what everyone shared is a perfect example of how we need to respond to that. But I wanted to talk about it this morning because there's something specific that I want you to hear and to remember, because this is more important than anything else that I could share with you. I want you to hear me. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are going to live forever. Forever. You're going to live forever. There will never be a time that you are not alive. I mean, I really want that to sink in because we think of eternity as this kind of faraway concept, right? It's this thing that, that's, that's not real for us, but I, I really want that to sink in. There is no longer thing, longer existing thing than you from here on. You will live forever. Forever. And there's two reasons that I want you to get a sense of urgency about the gospel because of this. You might think, well, if I'm going to live forever, then isn't that the opposite of urgent, right? Whatever it is, I've got a long time. But that's not the case. This, that news, that promise, that blessing from God, our eternal life should give us a powerful sense of urgency for two reasons. The first one is this. One day, the body that you have now, it will wear out. And at the resurrection, all those who belong to Jesus will rise and they will receive a new body, one that's run on the Holy Spirit, and you'll spend eternity worshiping God and becoming more like Him. And that's wonderful. But you don't have to wait to start experiencing the glorious riches of Christ. God's Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, and that means that you can ex begin to experience the incredible gift of God's sanctifying grace here and now in this life. It means that God wants to start making you into the person that you'll be becoming for eternity now. He wants to give you those riches that belong to him and him alone Kingdom riches, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He wants that for you now. Now, here's, here's another bit of involvement I would like to, like to see if we can do. Whenever we say the fruit of the Holy Spirit, if you know them, they come to mind. If you don't know them, well, they don't. But I'd be curious to see how many of us do know them. So can we say the gifts of the Spirit together? If you know them, ready? They are love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What's really interesting, these life-giving, exciting words are always said with this droning sound, right? What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. I don't know why that is, but that's just something I've come to accept. The fruit of the Spirit. He wants those for you now. Now, the fruit of the Spirit aren't something that you get and you're done. It's not that one day God is going to hand you self-control and boom, you're done. It's not that one day he's going to give you gentleness like a gift wrapped up. You're going to take it and it'll be you forever. That's not how this fruit works. It's something that you become and grow into throughout your life. And it's something that will be growing in you forever. And that's why coming to church, why reading your Bible, why praying, why those things are so important. They're tools for you to use to make yourself ready for God to change you, to transform you, to make you more like him. And I don't mean more like him in power, right? You're never going to be able to create worlds or universes. There's never going to be a Bible written about you. If that's what you're looking for, you're in the wrong faith. That's not in the cards. You're going to become more like God in your heart, in your character, in your desires, in your will. And he wants to do that in you now. He wants to begin that change, and that change will be happening to you forever. The more you practice those holy habits, the more you make yourself ready for God to change you. You don't do the change. You can't make yourself more like God. He does it. But those holy habits, prayer, reading scripture, worshiping God, those are tools to make yourself ready for him to change you, to stretch you, to empower, to grow and sanctify you. And the more you make yourself ready to experience that part of the life of heaven, the more he makes you like him. And that's amazing. You're going to live forever. You're going to be experiencing and worshiping God forever. There's no greater blessing than that. But it comes with a burden as well. I said there's two reasons why I hope that the, this promise of a forever life with God would give you a sense of urgency. The first is that he wants to give you a taste and a part of that now. He wants to make you rich with kingdom riches, with the fruit of the Spirit. That's one. But the second part is this, is that it's not just you that will live forever. Every human being will exist Forever, either in a joyful relationship with God, the creator of the universe who loves each of us more deeply than we are capable of loving anyone or anything. Every human being will either exist with him forever in life or be separated from him forever in death. And that means that every single person that you interact with, every single one will exist forever. Every impact you have on a person where God uses you to show them his love, whether they know him already 
or not, whether you show them more deeply how a person can love and be compassionate and show Jesus Christ through their words and actions or not. Every single human being that you interact with will live forever. And God wants you to become the kind of person that he can use to speak his truth, to show his love, and to share his gospel with other human beings who will exist forever. He wants you to become that kind of person. And to do that, you need to know him. It doesn't happen on accident. You need to know him. And you need to let yourself be changed by him. Now that doesn't mean that you're supposed to wait to tell others about Jesus until you're a perfect person, right? I, I, I don't want to mess this up, so I'm not going to let anyone know that I'm, that I'm a Christian because I don't want to give him a bad name. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is this. The more he transforms you, the more you'll feel a burden, a compassion, and an urgency for those who don't know him yet or for those who know him and are still in the process of growing. Two reasons for urgency. You will live forever, and so will everyone else. So, what does this have to do with Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus, he walks, or he sits on the side of the road, and he's blind. And he's been sitting and begging probably for a very, very long time. But somehow, without ever having met him before, he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He knows that Jesus can heal him. Whether someone had shared that message with him already, or if God somehow whispered to him who this man was, he sits on the side of the road and blind. And I want to I encourage you to put yourself in his shoes. So I'm going to ask you right now to go ahead and close your eyes and picture yourself as Bartimaeus. You're blind. It is so incredibly clear and obvious to you that you are not the way that God has made you to be. You cannot see. And you're aware of that imperfection. You're aware of that, that deviation from how God wants you to be. And your life is affected. It's not the life you could live. And you know deep in your soul that you need to be healed. And Jesus walks along. And you cry out and you say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people tell you to be quiet because you're broken and you're flawed and they know that. And they don't want you to bother the son of God. But you don't listen and you cry out and you say, Jesus, have mercy on me. And he stops and he looks at you and he says, what do you want me to do? What would you say? What in you is like Bartimaeus' blindness? What in you is broken and flawed and in need of being healed? Do you feel like those around you don't love you? 
Do you feel isolated, separate from the people in your life? Do you feel like there's some compulsion, some temptation that you just cannot seem to overcome? You cannot seem to resist and it makes you feel like God's love is far away. Is it something else? Whatever it is, what do you ask? Go ahead and open your eyes. When we pray, when we spend time in God's presence, He looks at us and He says, What do you want? That's not a promise that he'll do what we ask. I'm sorry if you're wanting a new car or a new bicycle or whatever it is, this is not a guarantee that all you have to do is ask and it will be fulfilled. We're talking about something deeper than that. In the healing, it doesn't usually happen all at once. I know for some people it does. They go to the Lord in fervent prayer and something about them is changed forever and immediately. Those stories are wonderful and do happen, but usually it's a process of growth over time, sometimes a long time. But he speaks truth to you. And he brings healing to you. And he whispers to you that he wants to use you to speak truth and bring healing to others. And sometimes it's, it's so strange how easy it is for us to lose sight of the work that God is doing in us. Bartimaeus was physically blind, but so often we are spiritually blind. Sometimes we struggle with an apathy. We know somehow intellectually that God is there and that that matters. Somehow we know intellectually that we should be reading our Bibles and we should be spending time in prayer. But in the moment, we just can't muster up the will or the drive or the desire to do it. And so perhaps what you need to ask Jesus in those times is, Lord, light my heart on fire for you. I can't bring myself to crave and desire and want to spend the time with you. I know I should. Light my heart on fire for you. Help me shed this apathy that distracts and takes away from my time and my relationship with you. Maybe maybe apathy means you need new eyes to see the world as it really is, to see God as he really is. Because if we could see him clearly, if we could see the world and the people around us clearly, I don't think we'd need any encouragement to want to spend every single possible moment in his throne room. Or maybe it's not apathy. Maybe you have this this feeling of inadequacy. Who am I to go into the throne room of God? Who am I to, to dare to call myself a child of the Most High? Who am I to tell someone else about Jesus when I'm so imperfect as I am? And maybe while Bartimaeus needed physical eyes, you need new eyes to see yourself with. 
to know that when he looks on you and he knows your good and your bad, your strengths and your weakness, the best and the worst of you more than you ever could. And he looks on you and smiles in delight. Zephaniah 3.17 says that he sings with delight when he looks at you. Maybe what you need are new eyes to see yourself with. Whatever it is, the gospel should move us to become the people God wants us to be. And to do that, to do that, we need to use the tools he's given us, the holy habits available. You're part of a community here. You should come and be part of that community. He offers you this incredible opportunity to come and sing and worship him with a group of people that want to love him like you do. That's amazing. Maybe it means that that you need to get into your word more. If we could really wrap our minds and our hearts around the fact that, that we have a book full of the things that God wants us to know. We have a book full of the words of God, the actions of God, the words of Jesus Christ, the activity of the Holy Spirit in the church that can form and change and mold us. And yes, it is hard to understand sometimes. We're going to be going through a series on the book of Exodus starting next week. And there are powerful, amazing stories in that book and weird ones. And ones that it's hard to understand what God could possibly be doing. Yes, Diving into scripture is hard and sometimes it's boring and tedious and weird. There are strange stories in here. But he will use this book to change you. To share with you his riches. The fruit of the spirit. Or maybe, maybe it's something that like prayer that's hard for you. And if you can develop a habit of spending time with him, if you don't know what to say, that's okay. To close your eyes and to just be really sincerely, deeply aware of the presence of God. That can change you. It can create an intimacy with him that you've never experienced before. And it allows you to listen to him. So often we go to God in prayer and we talk and we talk and we talk and we say, I haven't heard anything. Well, of course not. If you go to a conversation with another person and never stop speaking, you won't hear very much except yourself. But if you can develop a habit of prayer, he will use it to change you. The gospel calls us to be people whose hearts belong to him, to be made, molded, changed, transformed, sanctified, empowered, stretched, and grown into representatives of Jesus. You're surrounded by people who will live forever. You will live forever. And the fruit of the Spirit in you will have an impact on your friends, your family, and those that you encounter, that's eternal. God wants to use you to have an eternal impact. That's an amazing promise.
in the gospel. So my hope is that today, perhaps you've had a habit of devotions before and, and, and it's gone away because you're busy. My goodness, we get busy and it's hard to maintain a, a regular practice. If so, we're going to have a new Bible reading plan next week. We want to encourage you to take it when we have it and, and, and go through Scripture with us. Let's do that together as a body. Let's really dive in to the book of Exodus and be molded and changed by it. It's hard to get into a habit of prayer because there's no guidebook. We have the book of Psalms, and that's a pretty good guidebook, but there's no, there's no direct here's what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to do it, and your prayer life will be different than every single other person's. But if you work at it, if you fight for it, if you make it a part of your life, you'll be amazed at the change that happens in you. That is the promise of the gospel. Father God, we come before you, thankful for blessings, Lord. We love you, and we praise you. And we thank you for the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, the promise of salvation that we have because of him. We thank you for your love, which we can never understand in its abundance. We can never understand the width and depth of the way that you love us. Lord, your love for us was so great that despite being broken and sinful, you sent your Son to redeem and offer us salvation. And we praise you for that. Forgive us for our hearts which wander away from you and call us back to you, Lord. Give us, bring us back to you. Help us to know you more, to have a closer walk, than ever before, and to never be the same because of it. We pray all these things in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen.